This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. What is your background? My background, well, hopefully you can tell from my accent, I'm from Australia, uh, living in the US right now. But I grew up in a Christian home in Australia, which is a fairly pagan country, but with parents who taught us to stand on the authority of the Word of God. And my parents also taught us answers to defend the Christian faith, because they knew if we didn't have answers to the attacks on the Bible and the Christian faith, that that could easily cause us to doubt and not believe. And so they gave us those answers. And then uh, I became a science teacher. And the first year of my teaching in 1975, a student said to me, so I know you're a Christian, but how can you be a Christian when the Bible's not true? And I said, well, how do you know the Bible's not true? They said, because what our textbooks teach about evolution and millions of years. And then one of the students said, no, I couldn't get the animals on the ark. And right then I realized that the teaching of evolution, millions of years, was causing these young people to say, Christianity can't be true, the Bible can't be true. And it's interesting asking a question like, how could Noel get the animals on the ark? You know, therefore it can't be true. And so I made sure that I started giving them answers. So I started teaching them and I had the ability back then, and it, it was more open in the schools to be able to do that, uh, to be able to teach them about the Bible and give them scientific answers as well to the questions that they had to show them, I can defend my faith and point them to the truth of the Bible. And then when I talk them to museums, they're always from an atheistic perspective, and God may have gave me a burden. Why can't we build a creation museum? And so in, in Australia, actually in 1977, I and another school teacher ran the first ever creation apologetics uh, program in Australia, seminar. And then in 1977, my wife and I started a ministry in our home to distribute creationist literature. And then in 1979, I left school teaching to go full-time into that ministry. We built up that ministry in Australia, traveled all over Australia, came over to the USA in the 80s on tour, uh, sponsored by the publisher of the Creation Apologetics books, Master Books. And 1987, came over on loan to the Institute for Creation Research to work with Dr. Henry Morris, Dr. Dwayne Gish, uh, there in California for seven years. And then instead of returning to Australia, moved to the state of Kentucky in America, northern Kentucky, just across the river from Cincinnati, uh, to build the Creation Museum. And that was in 1994. And so in 2007, we opened the Creation Museum. And in 2016, we opened the life-size Noah's Ark. And those two are now the two leading Christian-themed attractions in the world, attracting about one and a half million visitors a year right now and growing. And, of course, the ministry of Answers and Genesis is the overall ministry uh, that we started. And we produce books and DVDs. We have our own streaming platform. We have lots of websites and social media accounts. And uh, we do international outreach, outreach domestically as well, conferences. Uh, we speak at the auditoriums at the Ark County Creation Museum. So there it is, my whole life in short summary. Why, why is Genesis important? Well, you know, um, Genesis 1 to 11, the first 11 chapters of the Bible are the foundation for everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. You know, many people say, oh, Genesis doesn't matter. You know, as, as, as long as you trust in Jesus, you know, the gospel is what's most important. How do you explain the gospel without understanding who we are, where we came from, the origin of sin, the origin of death, the need of a savior? It's all there in Genesis 1 to 11. 
And in fact, if you start to think about it very carefully, every biblical doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. For instance, if you think about the doctrine of marriage, right? Why do Christians believe marriage is a man and a woman? Why is it a doctrine at all? When Jesus, as the God-man, in Matthew 19, and it's recorded also in Mark 10, actually, um, but he was asked about marriage. He said, haven't you read... Uh, he who made the beginning made the male and female. That's the text of Genesis 1.27, saying God made two humans to start with, male and female, two genders. So the origin of gender right there in regard to humans. And said, for this cause shall a man of his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. That's the creation of marriage, is to be a man and a woman. The man was made from dust. The woman was made from his side. You become one because you're one flesh. And so there's God creating uh, the first marriage, he told them, be fruitful and multiply, which is the basis of the family. The family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions that God ordained in Scripture. And so if you want to understand the doctrine of marriage, you have to start from the foundation in Genesis 1 to 11. In fact, think about it. Where's the origin of death? Genesis 1 to 11. Sin, Genesis 1 to 11. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Takes the place of the first Adam. Genesis 1 to 11. Why do humans wear clothes? God gave clothes because of sin. Genesis 1 to 11. In fact, Genesis 3.21 is not only the origin of clothing, but the setup of the sacrificial system to point to the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of marriage, Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have dominion over the creation and not the other way around? God gave man dominion, Genesis 1 uh, to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week, Genesis 1 to 11? Why does man have to work and work be hard? Well, because of sin, now we'll have to earn our food in the sweat of our brow. Now there's going to be hard work, Genesis 1 to 11. When God set up government, really began after, after the flood, uh, when he talked about if you shed someone's blood, your blood will be shed. In other words, there has to be uh, the maintaining of law and order, Genesis 1 to 11. So you go right down through it all. All doctrine is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And Jeremy, think about this. We have young people today, if they're not given that foundation from Genesis 1 to 11, and they go through an education system that teaches evolution as facts, throwing God out, Bible out, prayer out, or whatever, then uh, they could easily be impacted by the LGBT movement in regard to viewing such things, because if they don't have the right foundation, they won't have the right worldview. And I think that's the other aspect. To understand Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, it's the foundation for all doctrine. It's the foundation for our worldview. Everyone has a worldview, and, and most churches don't even teach worldview. Your worldview is not something you pluck out of the air. It has a foundation, and there's only two foundations, ultimately, God's word or man's word. And so Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything, because if you want to deal with any issue, you want to deal with the abortion issue, the gender issue, the marriage issue, euthanasia issue. You want to deal with fossils, dinosaurs, death and suffering. Whatever issue you're going to deal with as a Christian, you have to say, how do I start to deal with that? We have a foundation in the word of one who created everything, who knows everything, who's revealed certain information to us to give us the foundation to build the right way of thinking, to correctly then have on the right biblical glasses to understand uh, this world and to approach uh, what we're looking at. So you've got to have the right foundation. And Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation. It's interesting. While you were talking, I, I was reminded of a time I was driving with my wife um, and um, she saw a billboard and 
just ask me the question, do I think that the moral decay that we're seeing around us is because of an increase in atheism? Well, uh, think about this. If there's no God, who decides right and wrong? We do. You know, Judges 21, 25, when they had no king, no absolute authority to tell them what to do, they all do what is right in their own eyes. And what has happened is, and particularly in the West, uh, which was much more, if you like, Christianized in the past, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethic permeated the West, really, which really comes out of the Bible. But as people abandon the Bible and have no respect for the Bible, and you've got generations coming through an education system that are, that are taught uh, evolution as fact and so on. And, and, you know, a part of this is understanding there is no neutrality. You know, secular doesn't mean neutral. The Bible says you're either for Christ or against, you either walk in light or darkness, you gather or scatter, you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. So when you have generations that have been told the Bible's not true, evolution's fact, everything came out by natural processes, naturalism is atheism, then a logical consequence of that and an outworking of that is if there's no God, then I decide right and wrong, then ultimately anything goes. And mm -hmm. in a culture where anything goes, which is what we're seeing, for instance, in America, where I'm right now, or Australia, when you have a culture where anything goes, and that's their worldview, we've got to allow all views, there's, there's one that doesn't go, and that is the absolutes of Christianity. Because when you, for instance, you know, I've talked to LGBT people who said, look, all we want is freedom for our views, uh, and, and to allow all views. Well, number one, they don't want freedom for their views. They want total compliance and acceptance, but that's another issue. But they say, we allow all views. You Christians are intolerant and filled with hate speech. And I say, now, wait a minute. You don't allow all views. And they say, yes, we do. I said, wait a minute. My view comes from uh, the Bible. And so this is the worldview built on the Bible that says there's only one marriage, a man and a woman. There's only two genders of humans, male and female. They said, well, now you're being intolerant of, of our view. You're not allowing all views. And I said, wait a minute, you're being intolerant of mine because you're saying I can't have my view. But they said, but wait a minute, by having that view, you're saying we're wrong. Wait a minute, by you having your view, you're saying, you're saying I'm wrong. We have a clash of worldviews. And the reason we have a clash of worldviews is because uh, we have different foundations, either God's word or man's word. And that's the problem. And so, yes, you know, when people have the foundation um, of man's word, that life is a result of natural processes, that there's no God, uh, and, and uh, therefore have that atheistic worldview, then their worldview is moral relativism, which outlaws a worldview of absolutes based on Christianity. Therein lies a battle, which is why, as I say to Christians, you can't just battle the worldview uh, clashes up here at this level. You're never going to get anywhere. We've got to get down to the foundational level because if someone doesn't change their foundation from a man's word of you know naturalism and materialism, if you don't change that uh, to God's word, you're never going to agree uh, on the world views out mm. here. You're not, not going to agree on the Christian worldview. So therein helps us understand that impasse. And and by the way, Jeremy, that that uh, battle began in Genesis 3 when the devil came to Eve in the form of a serpent and said, did God really say, in other words, don't believe God's word, uh, you can be your own God, you can be as God. In other words, uh, it's man's word that's the foundation. You decide. Whereas when God talked to Adam, he said, you can eat of all the trees. There's only one you're not to eat of. In other words, obey God's word. So that battle between God's word mm -hmm. and man's word 
is the battle that's raging in our world. It's the spiritual battle that's been raging for 6,000 years. Uh, and the battle has never changed. But what what is changing in our world right now are the generations uh, that uh, have, have given up this Judeo-Christian worldview and become more consistent with their foundation of man's word that we see just permeating the Western world. You said 6,000 years. Why is young earth creationism um, such an important idea? You know, it's interesting. Um, many people don't understand the word science is what I find. Uh, you know, so the, the word, when somebody uses the word science, I ask them, what do you mean? Uh, how do you define that? Because the word science comes from the Latin scientia, which means knowledge, right? And one of the things I did, I debated Bill Nye, the science guy, if you've heard of him, I call him Bill Nye, the, the humanist guy, uh, or Bill Nye, the, well, he's basically an atheist, uh, although he doesn't use that term. But uh, I debated him at the Creation Museum in 2014. And one of the things I did, I said, look, you're saying this is a battle between science and the Bible. What is science? And I said, there's a big difference between knowledge, because that's what science means, knowledge, uh, knowledge about the past when you weren't there, and knowledge that you can gain using your five senses and develop technology. And so we call one historical science and the other is called operational observational science. And so when it comes to the issue of the age of the earth, we're talking about the past. We weren't there. None of us were there to see the earth form. So we're not talking about observational science. We can't observe the earth being made. Uh, we don't have a movie rerun of it or anything like that. So how do you go back in time and figure that out? The only way you'd know how old it is, is if someone was there. Now, as a Christian, because I believe the Bible is the absolute authority of the word of God, when somebody talks about the age of the earth, I appeal to that authority first. You know, it's like all the, even when the devil came to Jesus and said, it is written, it is written. When Jesus was asked about marriage, have you not read? You see, we have the absolute authority of God's word. That's where we should start. So, you know, people might say, well, what about all the dating methods, you know, potassium, mm -hmm. argon, uranium, lead, whatever. I say, just ignore all that for the moment, right? We can come back and talk about those and all the assumptions behind them, and they've got all sorts of problems. But if you start from Scripture, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you jump over to Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, which is verse one of chapter one, and the sea and all them in that in them is. In other words, that's attesting to the fact that Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of the six days of creation. Now, each of those days, uh, you know, the first day was in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, the earth was out form of void, darkness was upon the face of the deep, the spirit of God moved upon the waters. God said, let there be light, there was light, separate the light from the darkness. Um, there was evening and morning one day actually says one day which means defining the word day and the word for day in hebrew was the word yom the hebrew word yom and it's used for each of the seven days actually uh there you know even the seventh day when god rested whenever the word yom in context is qualified by evening or morning or a number or with the word night it means an ordinary day i mean look up any hebrew dictionary on that you know hebrew lexicon brown driver briggs cola bombagarten you know one of those um, but when you look for the six days for the first day it's got night evening morning and number one day in other words the first day and then it says evening morning number second day evening morning number third day evening morning number and, and in other words for each of those days even the seventh day still has a number uh, it doesn't say evening and morning because that was the end of the creation week. But 
uh, you still have a number associated with the word day, that, that means ordinary days. So we know that God made everything in six days and there's no space in there anywhere for a gap or millions of years or anything like that. And then on the sixth day, he made Adam, the first man and the first woman. Genesis 1 and 2, actually Genesis 2 is a more detailed account of the sixth day of creation. Some people think Genesis 1 and 2 are contradictory accounts of creation. They don't understand. Genesis 2 focuses down on the creation of man and woman and the details of how it was done. Ready for Genesis 3, the fall of man. And so Adam was made on day 6. We know he had a son, Seth, at 130. In fact, Genesis 5, 4, they said they had sons and daughters, actually. Uh, and then we know Seth. If you go through those genealogies in the Old Testament, it tells you when someone was born, when they died. That's why even when you jump over to the New Testament in the book of Jude, it says uh, that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. And he was. He was the seventh from Adam. And so you can trust those genealogies in the Old Testament. There's no gaps in those genealogies. Mm -hmm. The New Testament ones, the, the genealogies given there, that go back to Adam, they're summaries. They're not detailed genealogies. What in the Old Testament are? And then you get to the time of, you can work through uh, dates in the Bible, get to the time of Abraham, get to the time of, um, well, the flood was 1,700 years after creation. And you get to the time of Abraham, again, you get to the time of Christ as the God-man, the babe in a manger 2,000 years ago, up to the present, you come to 6,000 years. You don't get millions of years. You never get millions of years from Scripture, right? Only thousands of years. And many people don't realize that the idea of millions of years didn't come from dating methods like uranium lead or one of those. It came in the 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, primarily out of atheism. Those who are materialists, who believed everything happened by natural processes, rejected the supernatural, he said, how to explain the layers of fossils, they couldn't have got there from the flood because we don't believe the flood. Noah's flood's not true. So they were laid down millions of years before man, right? Now, many Christians have been uh, intimidated to believe, you know, you've got to accept the millions of years. And they've tried to put them in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, or, or say the days of creation are long periods of time. But think about this. The fossil record is a record of death, not just death. And there are many documented instances in the fossil record of, in the bones of diseases like cancer, arthritis, abscesses, tumors, right? There's also thorns in the fossil record, fossil thorns. Now, if you're saying all that existed millions of years before man, after God made man and, and before Adam sinned, God said everything he made was very good. So now if you've got cancer, before sin, and God calls that very good, there's a problem. Mm. Uh, not only that, the Bible makes it really clear that thorns came after the curse. But you've got fossil thorns in the fossil record, supposedly millions of years before man. You, you, the, the, the Christian who believes in millions of years, I'm not saying they're not a Christian because salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ, right? It's, it's faith alone, grace alone. It's not, it's not conditioned upon what you believe about the age of the earth. But if you believe in millions of years, then you're really blaming God for death and suffering. And Jeremy, one of the big, big problems a lot of the younger generation have is if you believe in a loving God, look at all the death and suffering in the world, all death, suffering and disease. But if you believe God's word, we're living in a fallen world. Death is an enemy, the Bible says. One day it'll be thrown into the lake of fire. It's an intrusion. Romans 8.22 tells us the whole creation groans because of sin. 
you're not looking at the world as God made it. You're looking at a groaning world because of our sin, right? God's not responsible for death and suffering. We are. We sinned against uh, uh, a holy God. He placed upon us the curse of death so our bodies would die. We're made in the image of God, so we're going to live forever, but we'd be separated from God. He did that so he could step into history in the person of his son and pay the penalty for our sin mm. by dying on a cross, being raised from the dead, offers a free gift of salvation. So you can't, as a Christian, you can't add um, millions of years to the Bible because in doing so, you are saying God's responsible for death, disease, and suffering, and he calls diseases good. You are undermining the character of God because only God is good. That's the only way to define good, his attributes. And you're really undermining the gospel in saying that, you know, and, and, and say, well, what, what did our sin do? What did our sin do to the world? Why did Jesus need to die on a cross if death's not the penalty for sin, if there's always been, been death here? And so this is a very, very important issue. Many people haven't thought it through. And unfortunately, mm. a lot of the younger generations have said, if you've got to take man's ideas of, of evolutionary geology, millions of years and evolution and so on, and, and add it to the Bible, it means Genesis can't be true. It's undermining biblical authority. It's unlocking that door to say, why should we trust any of it? It's a slippery slope is what you're saying. It's a slippery slope. And that's the issue. You know, a lot of people think about ministry of answers in Genesis. Oh, it's you're on about the age of the earth. You're on about creation evolution. I want people to understand something. Yeah, we certainly deal with those topics, but our ministry is a biblical authority ministry. You know, I don't like being called, this might sound funny to you, I don't like really being called, oh, you're one of those young earth creationists. I want to be called a biblical creationist, right? Young, I believe in a young earth as a consequence of my stand on scripture. Mm. Um, I'm not young earth first. Uh, I'm young earth because of because of my stand on scripture. So we're biblical creationists and our ministry is really all about biblical authority. Well, we specialize in apologetics to answer the questions of our age that really are attacks on the Bible. And in our day, they're particularly attacks on Genesis 1 to 11 because Genesis 1 to 11, the devil knows it's the foundation for everything. Mm. And something that I've noticed is the idea that evolutionary theory cannot be questioned. And that kind of dogmatism is absolutely contrary to scientific thought. Well, absolutely. Um, and uh, Jeremy, if I can take it a little step further, I find that many of the Christian academics who have uh, compromised with, and I call it compromise, and it is, with evolution and millions of years and so on, uh, that because of their stature as a PhD and professor in university, you're not allowed to question them either. They don't like you questioning them. What right do you have to question them? But I don't. to me, it doesn't matter who you are. You can have 100 PhDs from Harvard University, but we have got to judge what people believe, and that includes ourselves, you and me, against the absolute authority of the word of God. And you know, what, what you find today in the secular world is that if they find out you're a creationist, biblical creationist, they won't want you to be published. They, you know, we've had instances where our PhD geologist wasn't going to be allowed to do research in the Grand Canyon 
And through discovery by legal means, we found that there were professors who had written to them and said, don't let these people in, they're Christians, they're creationists. And we actually were ready to go to a court, a big court case over that, and the federal government caved and realised that it was a case of discrimination and so on. But that sort of thing happens. Even in our colleges and universities, if they know you're an ardent creationist, they won't want to, in, in many instances, want, want you to do graduate work, get your PhD, they're biased against you. And now it's even gone further. Now, if you believe marriage is a man and a woman, you know, I I was going to speak to just a Christian group, actually, at a university in Oklahoma and the LGBT movement found out and got me cancelled because I believe marriage was a man and a woman. That was their reasoning because that's intolerant. Therefore, you're homophobic and all the rest of it. And uh, so, um, and, and actually, there was so much furor over that. Uh, I actually got invited back to do a public meeting. And, and you know, at a public meeting like that too, when I was addressing the, the LGBT people were there, the professors from the university, and I said, I'm a Christian. I just want to explain to you. My thinking starts from the Bible, right? Uh, I didn't just come in and start blasting, you know, their views of morality or anything like that. I said, because I start from the Bible, this is why I think the way I do. And I started from Genesis to explain why I believe marriage is a man and a woman, why I believe abortion is killing a human being made in the image of God, right, from fertilization. I was using apologetics as well, but starting from that foundation. Then I said to them, if you don't have the same foundation as me, I understand why you're going to have a totally different worldview. That doesn't mean I hate you. It means we've got a clash up here because we have a different starting point. And to be honest, the only way we're going to sort that out, you and I need to sit down together and talk about why we have this different starting point, why you don't believe the Bible can be trusted. And I want to tell you why I believe it can, because if we don't if we don't agree down that level, we're never going to agree up here. And, you know, that took the emotionalism out of it. And that's something many of our churches aren't teaching people how to argue correctly with people, because people tend to argue from the top down We've got to learn to argue foundationally from the foundation up. And if we don't get that, we're not going to be successful. Is the idea of biblical creation divisive or is it unifying? Well, let me ask you this. Is division bad? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, if, if you look in Scripture, okay, um, it's interesting. It, 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 we, we look there and we realize um, that, first of all, there's always going to be division in this world, right, until Jesus comes. So we can't say we're never going to have division because men love darkness rather than light. When light shines in darkness, there's going to be division. So there's no way you can ever get to a stage where you can have uh, total unity with everyone in this world, right? And there's more in the broad way than the narrow way. Secondly, there's a type of division in the church which actually is bad, um, where, and, and the scripture talks about that and you know it's in the New Testament and Apostle Paul talks about uh, people who are bringing in heresies into the church and creating division and, and, and that sort of division is bad and they need to be dealt with and, and stop from doing that, right? But then there's another type of division that the Apostle Paul talks about which is an important division and that is there has to be a division to see who stands on God's word correctly. There's got to be that sort of division. And I often find people say to me, well, you know, your ministry is divisive because you're saying you've got to stand on Genesis. Well, you go out there and tell people there's only one way to heaven. Isn't that divisive? You go out there and tell people you're a sinner. And if you don't 
repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation, you'll spend eternity, Bible says, in a place called hell, separated from God forever. Is Aren't you being divisive? And, you know, when, when people today, I find people in the church, they say, yeah, but on this issue of Genesis, whether it's an old earth, young earth, whatever it is, you know, whether you believe in evolution or not, as long as you believe God created, isn't it important just to have unity? Well, what you really want me to do there is to have unity on man's word. Unity that man's word about millions of years and evolution is true. We need to have unity on God's word, not man's word, what God's word actually says. And if you, if you start from scripture, uh, it doesn't say millions of years or evolution or anything like that. And, and so to, to help people understand this again in a different way, I was being interviewed by a minister once who said to me, look, you agree that Christians can have different views of eschatology, you know, pre-mill, R-mill, post-mill, windmill, you know, all the different views of eschatology. Um, you can have different views of baptism, sprinkling immersion, different views of speaking in tongue, uh, different views of Sabbath day, and so on. And I said, yes, that's true. And he said, we have different views in Genesis, so we should all just get along and unite because we can have different views there too. And I said, no, 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 this is totally different. He says, how is it different? I said, well, you think about it. When, when you're arguing about those theological issues, baptism, uh, speaking in tongues, Sabbath day, whatever it is that you're arguing about, the eschatology, primarily you're arguing from Scripture. You're saying the Scripture says here this. Well, over here it says this. Yeah, but here the Apostle Paul says it. You're, you're checking Scripture with Scripture and you're arguing primarily from Scripture, right? But the reason we have different views on Genesis is because we're saying, because of what the scientists are saying about evolution, because what they're saying about the age of the earth and, and millions of years, because of what they're saying out here. And there's a big difference with starting from Scripture, where we call that exegesis, or taking ideas to scripture, eisegesis. And what we've got to do is stand back and say, what are we doing here? Why do we have different views on Genesis? Is it that because we're solely starting from scripture? And the answer is no, because you don't get the idea of millions of years from scripture. You don't get ape-like creatures to people from scripture. You don't get a supposed big bang from scripture. That all comes from man's models based on man's word, uh, based on naturalism and materialism. You're really compromising a pagan religion with God's word. You're, you're bringing things to scripture. And so we, we need to have unity on what scripture teaches. And when you do that, that's going to create division mm -hmm. from those who want to take what man says and add it to the Bible. So as long as it's division for the right reason, standing on the truth, standing on the God's word, there has to be, and that's what the Apostle Paul says, there has to be that sort of division mm. to show who is who is uh, on about the truth. You're standing on the battleground of the information war and you are looking out at the horizon. What is it that you see? Ah, very interesting question. You could easily look out there and be depressed at what you see of what's happening in the world. Uh, we see the collapse of the West from a perspective of the Judeo-Christian ethic, certainly. Um, I see much of the church is extremely lukewarm. Church is almost dead in a place like Australia, actually. Very lukewarm. Church becoming more experiential, very shallow. We're losing the younger generations from the church. Generation Z in America, less than 9% of Generation Z attend church. I mean, back in the 1700s, 75 to 80% of people went to church. You could easily look at all that and say, 
we're seeing we're seeing catastrophic destruction from a Christian perspective before our very eyes. We're seeing Romans one happening before our very eyes, worshiping the creature rather than creator, the, the 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 progression of the sexual revolution and the homosexual revolution, and now with all the transgender stuff and so on. But I say, remember the parable Jesus taught about the nobleman who entrusted resources to his servants. And then he said he was going to go away and do business till he came back. And of course, we know that parable is teaching that the nobleman represents Jesus. He entrusts resources to each one of us, whether they be material resources, talents, speaking, communication, artist, whatever it is. And then he says, you do business, do the business of the king, because he's the king of kings. Do the business of the king till I return. And so here's what I say. You could look out there and look at all that's happening out there in the culture. All that does is inspire me to say we need to do even more th than ever what we can do to get the message of the truth of God's word and the gospel out there. We need to be doing the business of the king. And so we built a creation museum and we built an ark and we, we've got these attractions that are bringing people in from all over the world to teach them the truth. If the church is not doing it, we'll do it. We're pro producing all these materials. And you know what? I just need to be faithful to what God has called me to do and to recognize this life is a vapor compared to eternity. And so don't get wrapped up in the material things of this world and don't get wrapped up in all the selfish things that we want as people. Let's be on about uh, the, the work of the king to impact as many people as we can, regardless of what's happening in the culture and stand with courage, not be ashamed and recognize you're going to get persecuted. In fact, if you're not getting opposition as a Christian and being persecuted in some way for your stand and what you're doing, you should ask yourself, what am I doing? <laughs> am I really doing the right thing? Uh, because you will be persecuted in this world and you will get opposition. And we get we get all sorts of opposition from the atheists and from, from even Christians in churches and that for our stand. But we need to stand unashamedly, boldly, and never divorce what we're doing from never, never just being on about arguments about about origins, for instance, all we in all we do, we're pointing people to the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. The whole reason we have the ministry we have, Advances in Genesis, built the two leading Christian themed attractions in the world, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, is because we want to point people to the truth of God's word, show them we can defend the Christian faith, and um, and see them saved for eternity. And if if I might just end off with. Uh, a sort of a Bible passage as an analogy of this. Remember when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and Lazarus was dead. Um, just remember that Bible says non-Christians are dead in, in trespasses and sin. They're dead. They're walking dead people, right? Well, Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead. So what did Jesus do? He said, move the stone away. Now, Jesus, with one thought, could have made that stone disappear. He's God. He could have done anything with that stone. But you can move the stone away. That's your responsibility, right? You move the stone away. But they couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead. Only Jesus could. And the word of God raised Lazarus from the dead. And so I look on what we're to do in this world is, hey, there's all these walking dead people out there. We're going to do our best to roll that stone away. That means go out and, uh, and, and argue, confute, powerfully refute, dispute. In other words, uh, deal with them, challenge them 
be equipped with answers, apologetics to defend the Christian faith, answer their skeptical questions. We're rolling the stone away to point them to the word of God, knowing we don't do the saving, only God does the saving because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is sharpened than a two-edged sword. It's God's word that convicts and it's God that does the saving. We don't. And that's, to me, uh, the comforting thing because you could easily say, I feel, I feel you know, uh, at a loss here and uh, I, I, I feel that I'm just not successful and I, I feel that it's hopeless. And all right. you know what? Uh, we're not the ones that do the saving. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do all we can to get the truth of God's word out there, to give reasons for what we believe, 1 Peter 3.15, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, do the best we can, be as diligent as we can, study to make sure you've got that information you need, to be able to go out there and do battle, putting on the armor of God uh, and uh, making sure you know how to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and go do battle. That's what we need to do, regardless of what we see out there. I don't know if that answered the question, but it's it my long answer did. to that short question. Ken, how can I find out more? Well, we have a lot of websites, but our main website is answersingenesis.org, answersingenesis.org. And you can find all the different resources we have there, our Answers magazine. We have a streaming platform, answers.tv. Hey, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can subscribe to answers.tv and it's very inexpensive, and we have 6,000 programs on there right now for all ages, uh, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so, And, and uh, come visit us here in northern Kentucky in the United States and visit the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. Uh, spend at least three days here doing that. Some people spend more than that, uh, and uh, you'll be absolutely amazed. Ken Ham, you're an inspiration. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Hey, thanks, Jeremy, anytime. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.